0: I want to give to you today 10 strategies for cultivating meekness. And I got my watch and we're just fine. And what I want you to do is to gather at least a fistful that you'll say, I'm going to do that. I need to act on that one. And I see that that speaks right into my life. These are all very practical. It's all application books and it's all straight out of the Bible.
1: Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, I'm sure that uh, sometimes you hear from people who say, Oh, it's great to uh, have an idea of what the Bible says, but I I need to know what to do with that. It sounds like that's what today's message is all about.
0: Yeah, you know, I find a lot of Christians, Steve, have the idea that the Bible tells me what I should do or what I need to believe but that the how of doing this is really down to me. Hmm. And actually, the Bible's a lot richer than that. The Bible is full of the how as well as the what. And we've been looking at the what in terms of Christ's word about blessed are the meek. And the obvious question is, as we've thought about meekness being strength under control, how do I bring strength under control? Uh, How do I go about that in a practical way? We're going to see that the Bible is full of practical ways in which we implement the Word of Christ. So the Scripture interprets the Scripture. It's a wonderful book. It's not
1: only what, it's also how. If you're a regular listener of this program, you know we're not always able to get every point in a message in a program. So I would encourage you to go back, listen to the previous program, so you make sure that you get all 10 of these strategies for cultivating meekness. But we're going to continue our message today from the book of Matthew, chapter 5 and verse 5. Here's Pastor Colin with Cultivating Meekness.
0: Remember how much you have been forgiven. I'm thinking of 2 Peter in chapter 1, where the apostle lists and characterizes a growing walk with Jesus Christ. He talks about love. He talks about perseverance. And he talks about self-control which brings us into our world of meekness. You see, power under control. That's what meekness is, isn't it? And then he he says this, that a person who doesn't have this, a person who doesn't have this meekness, this self-control, this loving spirit, why is that? He says that person has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Turn that round. It follows this way, that if you have a lively memory of how great the cleansing of the blood of Christ is and how good God's grace has been towards you, then it will have the effect of causing you to grow in meekness. Matthew Henry suggests a very powerful question, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He suggests that we ask this question of ourselves any time we are irritated by or provoked by others? And this is the question. If God were to be as angry with me for my offenses against him as I am with others for their offenses against me, where would I be? Isn't that a great question? You remember the grace of God flooding into your own life and just what that means in time and for eternity it will help you to grow in meekness. Why? Because the person who knows that he's been forgiven much loves much. Remember how much you've been forgiven, and you will grow in meekness. Strategy number four, take time before you form judgments. Take time before you form judgments. I'm thinking here of James in chapter 1 and verse 19. Let every person, so this is for all of us, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Slow to speak, slow to anger. In Psalm 116, there's a very interesting phrase. David says there, in my haste, I said all men are liars. Now, you see what happened. I expect that, um, you know, someone told David an untruth, and then perhaps someone else did, and uh, he jumped to conclusions. He, jumped, he made a rash judgment. He said, you know, I've been told a couple of lies. Oh, it's hopeless. You know, uh, you can't trust anybody these days, and all men are liars, and out he comes with this. And then he regretted saying that, because that was a harsh judgment. That was jumping from perhaps a disappointment to a conclusion that was unwarranted, the book of Proverbs says this. Perhaps you know this proverb, chapter 18 and verse 17. The one who states his case first seems right until another comes and examines him. Now, you've all experienced that. I've experienced it many times. You hear a story, and you say, oh, really? And it seems right and, until you hear something else, and then you then you wish you hadn't made quite such a rash judgment at what you heard at first. So, take time to form your judgments. Spurgeon has a wonderful little phrase here. He says, little pots soon boil over. You think of that, a little pot on the stove. Little pots soon boil over. And you know what that is is like. Some people are like that. They're they're little pots. And as soon as they hear some piece of gossip, they boil over with indignation, irrespective of the fact that they do not know for sure that it is even true. And they make immediate judgments. Don't be a little pot that soon boils over. (laughs) Be quick to hear, but slow to speak and very, very slow indeed to anger. Take time before you form judgments. Make sure that you are doing so with wisdom and with accuracy and with kindness. Number five, make friends with meek people. Make friends with meek people. Now, I wonder if you know this command that is given in the Bible in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 24. It says this, make no friendship with a man given to anger. Did you know that the Bible says that? You should not make friends with an angry man. And here's why. If you sit over breakfast, over lunch, over time uh, with a person who is constantly complaining, What will happen is that the habit of their heart will begin to rub off on you. And that is why the proverb says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, lest you learn his ways, and then his snare is going to become a snare for you. Now, you may work, of course, beside uh, people who are habitually angry. That's just always how they are, They're, they're constantly in complaint mode. You may even worship beside some who have that character. But the Bible says, don't choose such a person as your friend. Choose rather to cultivate closeness with people who will help you to be more like Jesus. That's not the complainers. That's not the constantly angry. It's the meek. So, make friends with meek people, and guess what? You will grow in meekness. Number six, take pleasure in the joys of others. Take pleasure in the joys of others. I'm thinking here of Romans in chapter 12 and verse 15, where we have this command, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I wonder which of these two things you think is the easier and which is the harder. Pastor Ted Olson, who's here this morning and such a wonderful example of meekness, he has a wonderful phrase that he has used over the years to help and encourage young pastors, but it has relevance to us all. Irrigate your soul in the joys and in the sorrows of your people. Isn't that beautiful for a pastor to be replenished in his own soul by the identification that he has with the joys of his people and the sorrows of his people. That's simply an application of Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, which is for all of us, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, which do you think is the easier and which do you think is harder? I'll tell you what I think. I find that it is often easier to share other people's sorrows than it is to share other people's joys. And I want you to hear C.H. Spurgeon's wisdom here. Spurgeon struggled with the difficulty of often being unwell. He had multiple uh, illnesses over the period of his life and sometimes was laid aside from the work that he loved so much. And uh, uh, he comments in one place about when he was ill, people would come and visit him as they do and, uh, and would say to him, well, now I've seen somebody who's worse than you are. Uh, yeah, you, know, you know how this gets said when, uh, when someone's, someone's ill, you know. Well, and even when we're suffering ourselves, sometimes we say, oh, well, there's always other people worse, and so forth. And uh, Spurgeon says, well, I never get any comfort from such a remark, and my usual response is, you have just made me feel worse than I was before by telling me that someone else is worse than me. He points out that the great comfort for a meek person is to know that others are doing better. Quote, the meek-spirited man is glad to know that other people are happy even when he's not because their happiness is his happiness. I think what this means. Meekness means that you can be glad for others who have more than you do, even as you may be sorry for others who have less. You can find great joy in the fact that others are doing better than you are, even as you will feel sympathy for others who are doing worse. Meekness allows you to find joy in what God has given to others. Rejoice with those who rejoice. So think about this. When was the last time you heard someone say, You know, I don't have much money, but at least I have this comfort that other people have much more than I do. (laughs) When did you last hear that? Well, now you know how hard meekness is and how little there is around. We live in a world of envy, don't we? Rejoice with those who rejoice. My health is poor, but at least other people are well. Thank God for that. My son is really struggling right now, but thank God my friend's son is doing well. That's meekness. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You see now that meekness is only possible by the Spirit of God. That stuff never comes from the flesh. It cannot. But it's beautiful. It's wonderful, and it will lift you. Make the habit of rejoicing with those who rejoice when you see someone who is more blessed than you are thank god for it instead of muttering and complaining meekness it'll grow
1: you're listening to open the bible with pastor colin smith and a message called cultivating meekness part of our series momentum how to make progress in your christian life you know the series that we're listening to on the radio has also been turned into a book Pastor Colin has written the book called Momentum, Pursuing God's Blessing Through the Beatitudes. And if you're a new Christian, or maybe you're discipling a new Christian, this could be a great tool to help. We'd love to send you a copy as our way of saying thank you for your financial support this month. You can find out more or give online at openthebible.org. Or call us and give a gift over the phone. Our number is 877-OPEN-365. That's 1-877-673-6365. Or again, our website is openthebible.org. Back to the message. Here is Pastor Colin.
0: Number seven, and this is the one that has come most powerfully to me as I've meditated on these applications. Discern God's hand even in the work of your enemies. Discern God's hand even in the work of your enemies. Thomas Watson, who I'm quoting often because he's so helpful, he asks this very simple question. He thinks about Jesus on the cross, and he asks this question, what made Christ so meek in His sufferings? Isn't that a great question? How was it that Jesus could be so meek when He's hanging on a cross? And here's Thomas Watson's answer. What made Christ so meek in His sufferings He did not look to Judas or to Pilate, but to his father. And then he quotes the verse that is on the screen, John 18 and verse 11. It is the cup that the Father has given to me. Now think about what he's saying. At one level, you could say that the sufferings of Jesus on the cross were the direct result of the decision of Judas to betray him and the decision of Pilate to condemn him. On the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ could have said, look what Judas did to me. Look what Pilate did to me. But, says Watson, he did not look to Judas or to Pilate, but he looked to his father, the cup that the Father has given me. Shall I not drink it? In other words, Christ discerned the hand of God even in the work of His enemies. Now, here's the application, and it's of huge importance, friends, to thousands in church world today. As long as you see your life as the story of what other people have done to you, you will live in disappointment, anger, frustration, and resentment as long as you think of yourself as a victim, look what this person did to me, look what that person did to me. As long as you see your life in terms of the story of what others have done to you, you will live in disappointment and anger and frustration and resentment, and nobody wants to live there. You do not want to live there. So, by faith, lift your eyes up right now with me to the Son of God hanging on the cross there and see Him. See how when His enemies have done their worst, they have not overcome Him. See the glory of the Son of God as He stands there, not consumed in resentment over Judas and over Pilate, but saying rather, Father, forgive them they do not know what they are doing. That's what you want to be like. And the question is, how did he do that? He did not look at Judas or at Pilate, but at his father. Which takes us to number eight, walk daily in fellowship with Jesus Christ. You may be saying at this moment, you're describing Christ on the cross. I can never get to where He was. Yes, but what if Jesus Christ now should walk with you? What if Jesus Christ's Spirit should be given to you? and live within you. This is what it means to be a Christian. And so Jesus says in Matthew in chapter 11 and verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm meek, and this is how you're going to find rest for your soul. This is how you're going to get out of that trap of disappointment, frustration, and bitterness, and and resentment. What was the yoke? The yoke tied two animals together so that they could share the load of pulling the plow, and Jesus says, I want you to walk with me and I want you to learn of me, and you're going to discover my meekness, and it's going to be rubbing off on you, and my spirit within you is going to produce this beautiful, beautiful fruit. Friends, none of us has meekness by nature. No one is born meek. We have different temperaments, but this is a God-given gift that comes through the presence of Jesus Christ in the life of a Christian. And it grows as you imitate the Savior and as the Spirit of God indwells you and as you walk with the one to whom you have bound your life, Jesus Christ, your Savior and your Lord. Strategy number nine, anticipate all that God has promised as you walk with Christ and His Spirit of meekness lives within you. You anticipate what He's promised What does Jesus say? Blessed are the meek. Why? Because they shall inherit the earth. Look what is ahead of you as you pursue this path of meekness. Isn't inherit a wonderful word? Is there anyone who doesn't like the word inherit? What does inherit mean? Someone who has much chooses freely for what belongs to him or her to become yours. And when God adopts you into His family, what does He do? He writes you into His will so that you have an inheritance that is undefiled, and it can never fade away. It can never go down in value, and it is kept in heaven for you, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. And what is that inheritance? God will create a new heaven and a new earth, and who's going to enter into it? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, how sustaining that is in a world of power struggles. Might is right, and Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth. John Calvin puts this with such beautiful clarity. Listen, he says, let us be clear about this. Provided, as Christ says, that we exercise self-control and are patient, provided we possess that meekness which He requires of us and to which He calls us, we will inherit the whole earth. When you see that, it's easier to rejoice in others who have much more than you do and have what you might have liked to have enjoyed. All things are yours in Christ. Look at what's coming the meek, will inherit the earth. Which takes me to the very last of these strategies, which is simply this, ask God to give you meekness. We read from James in chapter 3 that the wisdom that comes from God, it's pure and it's gentle, and James speaks about the meekness of wisdom. And right at the beginning of the letter, he says, now if any of you lacks this wisdom, this wisdom that is meek and that is gentle, here's what you do. You ask of God, and He will give it generously to you. That's His promise. And that gives me a reason to be able to come before God in prayer today, as I hope you will. And through this week, as God is working this part of His truth into our lives, and I hope deeply, O oh God, You have said that a gentle and a quiet spirit is of great worth in Your sight. Please give me that spirit in increasing measure. Please today curb this harsh tongue. Please keep me from rash judgments. Help me to think the best and not the worst of others. Help me to discern your hand working for my everlasting good, even in the most difficult things where the hands of my enemies may be seen. Help me to discern and find pleasure in all your work and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Form within me. A reflection of your meek Son Jesus Christ as I walk with him today for your praise and your glory and your honor
1: really a helpful look today at Matthew chapter 5 and this idea of cultivating meekness and those ten strategies Certainly, as we listen to those, some of us were able to identify at least a handful that we could say, yeah, I I could work on that. If nothing else, number 10, to ask God to give us meekness. Our message, Cultivating Meekness, is part of a series, Momentum, How to Make Progress in Your Christian Life. And if you ever miss a broadcast in our series, come to our website and listen online. The website address is openthebible.org and you can stream the program or download an mp3 for free. Again, that's at OpenTheBible.org. Well, Open the Bible is a listener-supported program, but we want to send you a copy of Pastor Cullen's book, Momentum, Pursuing God's Blessing Through the Beatitudes. It's based on the series that we're listening to on the radio right now. But, Colin, who is this book actually written for? Oh, well, this would be a book for everybody because who doesn't want to be happy? Um,
0: Jesus speaks about how to be blessed, how to have a happy life, how to be contented and how to find joy. I mean, who doesn't want that? But, you know, particularly in the Beatitudes that Jesus gives to us, he speaks to us about how we can find peace and joy, especially when we're struggling with sins that really bog us down. Hmm. And, you know, if you're struggling with something that you just feel you can't get over, well, the Beatitudes are for you because Jesus speaks here about how you can actually make progress in your Christian life. And, you know, for anyone, and this should be true of every Christian, for anyone who wants to grow in holiness, to be more like the Lord Jesus and to advance in the Christian life... The Beatitudes actually give us the way in which we can grow as Christian believers. That to me was the most exciting discovery about the Beatitudes when I studied them. And it's been a great blessing to me. It's a joy to share it in the radio program. And I'm so glad we have the opportunity of sharing it through the book.
1: Well, we would love to send you a copy of the book, Momentum, Pursuing God's Blessing Through the Beatitudes, as you give a financial gift of any amount this month. You can find out more or give online when you come to openthebible.org or call us at 1-877-673-6365. That's 1-877-OPEN-365. Or again, our website is openthebible.org. For Pastor Colin Smith, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. This program is a listener-supported production of Open the Bible. When it comes to righteousness, the blessed people are not those who think they have it, but those who feel their lack of it. Find out why next time on Open the Bible.